Don't try and do all the opportunities. Don't try and take on all the opportunities. Focus on the opportunity in front of you because there's always gonna be shiny objects. There's always gonna be so many things to do. Do what you do best and let the other ones go. Sometimes it's about the opportunities that you don't take on. So I don't know if that makes sense. You don't have to do it all. Get very good at what you do. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. We have a great one for you today. Today, our guest is Brent Bowers. And today we're talking about building passive income, building passive cash flow through land investing and land flipping. And we've talked about this on the show before, but it's actually been a couple of years. And I'm excited to bring Brent on the show to talk about how he does it, how this business works, because you might not know how the land flipping or land investing business works. So we're going to give you a view into how his business in particular works, why a seller would sell their land to him and how he can then turn around and make a profit on that land, either quickly or over time as a passive cash flow machine. So really interesting. We also talk about how the pandemic and the associated economic uh, disruption impacted or maybe didn't impact the land investing business as the case may be. We're going to get into it. You're going to learn about that. I won't give too much away now, but this is a really interesting real estate investing strategy that even within the real estate investing space, most people don't know about. I know a few people personally who do this business, who it's working out and it's fascinating. So if you're not familiar with land investing and land flipping, you're going to learn about today and learn about how that business all works from Brent Bowers. Great conversation. So stay tuned. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate. If you're interested in learning more and applying to join our Passive Investor Club for access to passive commercial real estate investment opportunities, go to investwithtaylor.com. Once again, investwithtaylor.com. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please do take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you haven't done so yet, no matter what podcast app you use, do take a moment, look us up, the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday talking about building passive income and passive wealth through real estate investing. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. That's what this is all about, growing our networks to grow our net worth, right? That's how real estate investing works. In case you haven't heard yet, your network is your net worth and vice versa. So build your network, help someone else out, help someone else build more passive wealth, and it will come back to you. I promise. Once again, our guest is Brent Bowers. Without any further ado, here we go. Brent, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Taylor. It's been great talking with you so far, and we're going to get into a really interesting real estate investing strategy that, as you were saying, most people, even the real estate investing space, don't know about. It's what you do. For our listeners out there, can you tell us about your background and your business, and then we'll dive into how your strategy works? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a little bit about my background. You know, I got my real estate license in 2007. I bought my first rental property in 2007. I always wanted to be a real estate rock star. I actually, everyone knows what happened in 2008. Kind of took, I, I took a little bit of a backseat to real estate uh, about 2009 timeframe. I joined the military. I was like, I'm going back to school. This is too crazy. Uh, I saw real estate brokers getting out of the business after 30 years. So I was out of the country until about 2013. And guess who's back in real estate? This guy. <laughs> I bought another rental property in 2013 and a, and a third rental property in 2014. Uh, took a little small break until about 2015, bought a triplex after that. And I hit a wall. I was like, man, I'm broke. Like, I am not getting <laughs> enough money in rents. My American Express is maxed out. My Home Depot card's maxed out. I have some bills to pay. So I always heard that, like, hey, you know, the best way to get started in real estate is wholesaling houses. It doesn't take any money or any credit. So I gave it a go. I uh, found a, a mentor named Tom Kroll with Wholesaling Inc. and launched my wholesaling business. And that was going okay. I was doing a couple house wholesales, uh, sometimes a couple a month, but I was like working like crazy. I was getting up at like 4 a.m. I had to be on base by 6 a.m. I was always in the field, always training, always away always gone. And that's really hard to do with a real estate company wholesaling houses. And then I get home about 7 PM. And then I, I wanted to spend time with my wife and my kids. So I was searching for more answers, listening to podcasts like this. Taylor, thank you so much for hosting this because I came across uh, another guy talking about land. Like he's buying this land at crazy discounts and then turning around and like making a fortune overnight. And I mean, like 10 Xing his money. He'd spend like a thousand dollars and sell it for 10,000. And I was like, man, I've been avoiding the land. I've just completely been avoiding it. So I was mailing the tax delinquent list at that time and I had not mailed the land. So I mailed the landowners a simple postcard, like 687 postcards. The postcard said, Hey, I'd like to buy your house but it actually said land this time, <laughs> like to buy your land located on Beulah Street. It didn't even have addresses. Most of it did not even have an address, a physical address. And my phone almost melted. It like blew <laughs> off the hook. And I didn't have time to really call them all back. So I called about 20 people back. Out of those 20 people, I did two land deals like within like three weeks. Both of them netted me about $4,500 each. And I didn't have to go meet sellers. Like they told me what they wanted. There was no negotiation, no emotions. And I was like, this has got to be too good to be true. So I just kept testing it. And I kept rinsing and repeating. Before I knew it, I built a passive income doing it because I was seller financing land. And that was about the end of 2015. And I haven't looked back since. I now have a team helping me with this. We have uh, almost 100 notes paying us each month. Uh, and it's been wonderful. And oh, by the way, I get the honor now of being a wholesaling ink coach. I'm their official land coach. Uh, so it's been fun actually teaching people how to do this as well. Cool. So I think you know, we don't talk about wholesaling on the show all that often. I mean, one of my concerns or, or issues with wholesaling in general as a as a real estate investing strategy is really what you went through, especially <laughs> when you were getting started, is it's not passive income. It is a oh, no. job for yeah, sure. It was. <laughs> so how did you kind of overcome that? Because the land business is, is kind of similar. You're buying these pieces of land at a discount. You mentioned you're doing you know, seller financing. How do you turn that from waking up at 4 a.m. and you know having half an hour a week to hang out with your family into, 
you know, thing, a, a business that runs on its own. A bit yeah. More. Like my work didn't end immediately. There was a process. I hired an acquisition manager. She started taking all the phone calls and then I hired someone to help me sell all this land. She was actually in Argentina. She wrote all the ads for the land, posted all the land, replied to all the messages. And honestly, I was, I was forced to, to build a team from the very beginning by being in the military, I would go on field explorations. Like we'd do some field training and for a week I wouldn't have my phone. So I would tell my team like, Hey, decisions are on you. And I knew mistakes would happen and they did happen, but none of them bankrupt me, uh, me. And we all learned. And luckily I still have the same acquisition manager with me today. Like she's my CEO now. It's so like, she's running. We still have the house buying company, the wholesaling company. We morphed into flipping and we have our own office building. Now we were investors. Like you talked about syndicating deals. We got a 19 unit apartment complex. We just syndicated a land deal, uh, which is really cool. Set up a 506 B, you know, all these things. Uh, but it all, to answer your question, the short answer is I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere by myself. So I built a team. I did what I did best and hired out the rest. And I don't do a lot of things very well. So I, I built a team that like is better than me, like it compl like complimented me. Like my wife on the disc assessment for the Tony Robbins disc assessment, I'm a high DI. She's a high SC. Like that's like, it's just the perfect thing. And that's, that's who I found. I found people that that helped me with my weaknesses and it turned into cash flow game for us. And, you know, each one of these deals that we do gives us an extra two, three, four, five hundred $500 a month for sometimes five, sometimes 10, 30 years sometimes. So each time we do a deal, it gives us passive income. So it gives us lifestyle freedom too. Awesome. And I don't want to get too far down the road here. I mean, we did say that this is kind of an uncommon real estate investing strategy. I don't want to get too far down this discussion without at least giving everybody who hasn't heard of how it works, you know, yeah. an update of, you know, what's, what's the overarching strategy here? So my strategy is super simple. You know, you probably thought you're going to have some earth shattering uh, conversation here, but it's really simple. I buy land on sale and I turn around and sell it for a little bit more. I get something at a discount and sell it for a profit. And that's really it. It's that simple. And that's with anything like that. Same works with house flipping. It works with groceries. You know, it works with Walmart. That's all they do. So I go and try and find a piece of land sometime, most of the time, less than 50 cents on the dollar. And I have two exit routes. I flip it fast for cash. Well, I guess really three. I can assign the contract where I get it under contract and sell it to a builder for a quick profit assignment fee, or my preferred method, the one that gives me financial freedom and time freedom and, and geography freedom is I'm gonna buy this piece of land from you, Taylor, uh, that I'm gonna pay you $10,000 for this land. It's worth probably 30 or 40. And I'm gonna turn around and find a buyer that's willing to give me like three, four, maybe $5,000 as a down payment and can afford a couple hundred dollars a month. And I'm gonna sell it to that end buyer for 40,000 at 9% interest. And I'm going to create cash flow, and that's really it. I'm buying an asset at one third the value, and I'm selling it for full value because I'm offering people easy financing. Americans think how much is it going to cost me each month? They don't care about the interest rate. They don't care about the total cost, and that's it. And we just build our cash flow that way. Nice. So I think the the next big question is why would somebody sell you a, a perfectly good piece of land at? such a steep discount, especially if, you know, if there's a market demand out there for it, that somebody's willing to pay, you know, 
$30,000, but they'll sell it to you for 10. What's the disconnect there? Why would that seller sell to you and not just go get the 30? You know, it's the same with houses. And I stopped asking why. Why do people go and take Rolexes to pawn shops and get 20 cents on the dollar for it? Because we're speed, we're convenience. A lot of times we we find uh, these sellers, these, these landowners, they've got their head in the sand. They might've inherited it. Uh, their husband or wife might've bought it, you know, 10 years ago and that person passed away. They've been paying the taxes on it. And eventually they're like, now nah, I'm done with this. I don't, I don't even know how to sell it. Um, and it's also, I want to say, like, I had this conversation with someone today. He's like, man, realtors don't really touch the land that's under $50,000. That's more like kind of an inefficient market. My, one of my students said that. And I was like, that's brilliant. You're, you're absolutely right. Realtors don't want to mess with this, uh, this $50,000 lot, or it's worth $50,000. And they can go and sell a house for $500,000. The commission's way bigger. Um, so it's like an untapped market, too. And, you know, everyone wants to do the sexy house flip. They see it on HGTV or they want a hundred units. There's nothing sexy about land. It's like a, it's like a boring, slow process. Uh, but why would someone want to sell it to me at, at less than you know half its value? Is most of the time they're not resourceful enough to, to go out there and do it themselves, or they don't care, they're tired, they're old. And there's so many different reasons. Like we just had a mother sell us a piece of land that she had like a little small mobile home on. And her son was living in it and the mother needed $20,000. The land's worth like 90 alone, not including the mobile home. And the son didn't want to move out. He wanted to buy it, but he didn't have 20,000. So we bought it for 20,000. The son came up with 10,000. The son brought the $10,000 to the title company. So we only had to bring $10,000 to the table. Now the son's basically, we're seller financing the son, the land and the house for a total of 90,000. So we're the bank now. The son now has affordable payments and he's going to own the property. So just that's another example. Mm, okay. Now, I, I guess probably the biggest thing that I, I like to ask folks, especially I haven't spoken with a land guy since well before the beginning of the pandemic is how, you know, all of these disruptions, you know, impacted your business. I mean, property values are way up. I'm sure that translates to land values being way up, but also, you know, people were distressed there and and were hopefully on the tail end of it, but you know, there were, there were problems. And I would assume maybe the first payment that people think about cutting is the payment for their, you know, piece of land, especially if they haven't developed it. So how did, you know, all the economic disruptions hit your business? No, great question. I'll tell you what, the beginning of this whole coronavirus pandemic, uh, it was March. We had just come back from buying a lake house in Florida and we get back and it's almost like the phone stopped ringing. I was like, oh goodness, what's, what is going on? Oh no, we just spent a pile of cash on this lake house. What do we do? And I was like, I told my wife, I was like, I, I bet you everyone stops paying for their land. Like they're not going to pay their payments mm -hmm. out of almost a hundred notes. One stop paying. And probably four or five of them sent extra payments. And I couldn't figure out why it was the government stimulus checks that were, they were sending out like the following months later. Uh, so people were actually paying extra payments. And then we sold out of everything we had because people were looking to go camping. They weren't traveling. They weren't flying on planes. They weren't going to Disney World, but they would go out and set up a camp. I had a guy, uh, we actually partnered on many land deals. 
he bought a piece of land and he literally went and took his, his, his family camping on it for a couple of weeks. One of them got coronavirus. That was like the 14 days where they had to like, uh, what is it called? Quarantine. Where they just, yeah, quarantine. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's late my time. I'm, I'm done for the day. <laughs> um, but they quarantined on the land they bought, uh, which was so funny. And, you know, I saw a great demand for land. In the last two years, I've seen land in the four states that I'm in actually turn into a seller's market. Because before I felt like it was a buyer's market. I could get land at crazy discounts. So I'm paying more for land now, but I'm selling it faster and I'm selling it for more. Interesting. Okay. That's something that, you know, just to step back, you mentioned earlier about realtors don't want to deal with properties under $50,000, land under $50,000. And, you know, I have a similar experience. I bought a, a really inexpensive property and now a number of years ago. Fortunately, we were able to work it out with the realtors, but the lenders don't want to have anything to do with it either <laughs> because they'd rather deal with the expensive stuff because it's percentage-based commissions and that's what they want to yeah. deal with. So that definitely uh, makes a lot of sense. Plus now with the boom in demand for you know single families and the prices skyrocketing upward, I have to figure more families, more people are thinking, well, shoot, I can't find a house on the market. What if I go buy a piece of land and build my own house? Maybe it costs me a little more. I don't know. Maybe I have materials issues, but hey, at least I know I'm going to get something. Does that ring true to you at all? Have you seen that coming around? Yep. Uh, it's it's true. And I will say for the another class of buyers um, that I've seen it even more true are are guys that flip houses, that that buy houses, fixer uppers and renovate. They're so tired of competing and bidding for that overpriced, stinky old dirty cat pee house or buying as a foreclosure auction. I've seen a lot of flippers turn into spec home builders where they buy a piece of land and they build the house from the ground up because they can tr- control the entire process. Wow. Well, I guess it, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, we have such a serious housing shortage in basically every major metro, but depending on where you are, there's usually land somewhere, if not in town, maybe a bit out of town. And heck, what's a little bit longer of a commute if you can build a, you know, get a property that you need? We're seeing the houses that, that are out of town right now with a little bit of acreage uh, go for well over. And I'm, I actually personally experienced that on probably three or four. Like we still have our house buying company. We didn't turn that switch off. A lot of land sellers have houses for sale too. Uh, they say, well, I've been receiving all these phone calls and texts and I'm so sick of them. I get a lot of letters for this house that I own, but no one's called on the land or sent me letters on that. Would you buy both of them? Uh, and, and we've actually renovated, like fixed up some houses that were just outside of the, I call them the teeter-totter method, like teeter-tottering on the outskirts of the, the crazy explosion of growth. Some of these were like Calhan or Peyton, Colorado, just outside of Colorado Springs. And they're going for like 20, 30,000 more than what we thought because it was just on the outskirts. It had a little land with it. And people are working from home. The world has changed. We have a 2,100 square foot office building that sits vacant right now. None of us work out of it. And it's completely renovated. It was nice. We had snacks. We had all kinds of cool (laughs) stuff. But I can't get people to leave the house anymore. Well, you know, and I think hopefully my hope is that, you know, businesses will get a little bit more, um, you know, lean in that way or optimized in that way. But I'm always somebody I hated being in an office from the second I stepped into an office. I was like, I'm dying to get out of here. I'll do whatever I can. I was one of the people that was, you know, scratching at the walls to leave. Um, so very early on, you mentioned about, okay, you're, you're mailing all these houses. When you first mailed the landowners, it was off of a tax delinquent list. And that's 
what I hear a lot of from land guys is you kind of start with a tax delinquent list because they're not paying the tax bill. They probably don't really want the land all that badly. And you can get the list from the tax assessors to, you know, continue down this streak of, you know, how COVID has impacted things. Are people paying their tax bill more now or or less or the same degree? Like, how have you seen that shift? I don't know if I've noticed any shift in that. Interesting. And I'll tell you, you run out of the tax delinquent list very oh, okay. quick. It's such a small list. So I've kind of, I still mail it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, but you run out of those guys really quickly. If that's all you're mailing, you're probably gonna have to do like four or five different counties. Once I find a good little kind of fishing hole, I'll expand. I'll pull the list for every piece of land in the entire county and mail like, because it's easier to expand where you're already at. Same tax assessor, same title company. You'll stay with them. And so, you know, I have not noticed a correlation of back taxes uh, not being paid. I mean, and, but I'm not tracking it either. So I'm not sure. Well, I would think if it was a, a really marked effect, you probably would have picked up on it. There would have been some level of intuition and then you'd look into the data. So I maybe you I'll noticed. let you know. We just got our uh, tax delinquent list for one of the counties. If it went up, uh, I'll know. <laughs> so because <laughs> I always get aggravated how small they are. <laughs> so another thing I've really... Um, I'll be honest, I've kind of struggled with this in a different realm myself, but in trying to make this type of a business really passive in mailing people to buy their properties, in my case, it's it's self-storage owners. Um, mm-hmm. I'll give them you know, my direct line, but heck, I'm not always available, one. Two, mm-hmm. I get a crap load of spam calls still. So I don't know if I'm getting a call about my car's extended warranty or a call about, you know, a really sweet self-storage property. Yep. And how do you deal with that, especially in light of, okay, thinking back to the days when you were working on base, you probably couldn't take a call at any time of day. Nope. And for our listeners out there or that are in the same boat, you know, I've thought, I don't, I'm going to throw it to you here shortly. I've thought about saying, here's my phone number. I'll give them a Google voice number, but here's my phone number. Send me a text and we'll set up a time to talk. What are your thoughts about that? And how do you handle all that? Yeah, do it and teach everyone else to do it. Cause I'm going to still keep answering the phones and I'm going to get that <laughs> self storage unit because I'm going to live answer because mm-hmm. when my phone's ringing, I'm sorry, when my roof's leaking, I'm going to call four roofers until someone picks up and sets an appointment with me. And if they don't like, I'm going to keep calling until I get someone mm-hmm. same thing with house fine. It's seconds, not minutes. So yeah, I used to miss so many deals because I would send them right to voicemail and then I would ho- try and return it whenever I got to it. Yeah. If someone's really motivated, ready to go, you got to be there to answer that call. So here's how I combat that set up a specific line for that mailer. Let's just say we're mailing the coat. Let's uh, you have self storage units. So what, I don't know, even know what kind of list you find that on. I don't even deal in self storage, but I would assume maybe the self storage unit was behind on their taxes, or they got a code violation of some sort, or maybe the water was shut off. If you're mailing that list, if I'm mailing the water shutoff list, they're going to have a specific number, 5554. If it's a code violation, uh, they're going to have 5555. It's a tax link, but they're going to have 5556. That way, each one of them has a has their own phone number earmarked, so you can track your key performance indicators to see what list did your best, like how much you spent on the list, what your response rate was, what your conversion rate was. We keep it that simple. We track those few things. So it's easy to track and they are specific numbers. We, you can get them on call rail. You can get them on just call. There's call fire. 
and it comes to an app and that way, and th- don't get me wrong. Those numbers get burnt. Sometimes, sometimes they get like <laughs> spam. So we'll have to change numbers. It's so aggravating, but yeah, my cell phone, like I don't ever answer it. If you're not saved in there, Taylor, I'm not taking the phone call unless I know it's you calling. It says caller ID. I'm going to answer it, but that's uh, my phone. Our cell phones are burnt now, I, I, but that helps a little bit having a specific line for a specific one. And some of them do get spammed. We got a few haters out there. I think they've like, you know, turned our phone numbers into like catfax.com and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, sweet, a sweet reference there, catfax. You're now subscribed to catfax. So, do you? have those numbers ring to you? I mean, probably not at this point, right? You've got some, no that works way. For you. I'm the worst person for that. Sure. I'm the worst at answering my phone. I've got two amazing uh, acquisition managers uh, and they just literally live on the phone. God bless them. Um, they love talking to people. Uh, so they take the phone calls live when they can. Um, and now we have a, a, a live answering service that's after hours. Cause we still want, like you have a problem you want to solve. You want to talk to a live person. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just stress that and it's having a team, but if that were meant up to me, there's no way I can ever take the calls. Interesting. So for your, for folks out there that are, you know, this is a a one person, you know, shop getting set up, they don't have two acquisition managers and let's say for the the purposes of the discussion, they can't answer the phone between eight and five Mm -hmm. uh, every business day. So what were you saying? Would you say, you know, answering service straight up and then. I suppose, how do you, part of my concern there is, you know, I like uh, have some level of, you know, personability in my, you know, situation when a lot of these answering services are, they're out of the country. So somebody might call it and, you know, not really feel like maybe this is a legitimate operation. So Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? Yeah. um, If you can't answer the phone from eight to five, find someone that can. Uh, Truck drivers, they're just driving down the road. Maybe they can live answer it for you or patlive.com, which you know, good, bad, or ugly. Um, I don't really like Pat Live. I would rather have someone in my organization that knows me, that knows what we are. Um, so I just say, find that person and you don't even have to pay them. Just give them a percentage of what you're going to make on that deal, net profit. Say, hey, uh, this might be a couple months. Here's what I'm doing. Like, what, do you want to grow with me? And just only pay that person to answer the phone and take down the information, give them your script, tell them to learn, internalize that and make it their own. That way it doesn't sound choppy. Ask the questions you're going to ask and be like, look, Taylor's going to get back with you at 5 p.m. He actually works a, a day job. I was so honest with my sellers when I was in the army. Um, my land sellers or my house sellers, I said, look, I'm doing this for extra money. I'm trying to get out of the military. I've got three kids, a wife. I've been deployed a couple of times. I'm just trying to get out. This is my this is my second source of income. Uh, so I won't be available between these hours. So don't be alarmed. I'm still here. And it was so nice to be able to like, look, Jen's, Jen's helping me type thing. Well, I like that. And that, that gets to putting a bit of yourself into your pitch, your given your reason why. And you know, I'm sure folks, you know, related to that. And that also helped you, yeah. you know, get an air, get that legitimacy out there. So people, you know, you knew, knew you were real. Yeah. It's so true. Like being transparent, like, Hey guys, I'm not that I buyer. I'm not Zillow. I buy one house a month or I buy a couple parcels of land a month. And Hey, Mr. Seller, is it okay? Do you have any issue with me turning around and selling this land right away? Cause I'm actually going to sell it for a profit. And I'll tell you, I would have like sellers rooting for me um, <laughs> because I was honest about it. They knew I wasn't some like huge land buyer. I wasn't corporate. I was just a small time guy. 
Wow. Well, you know, Zillow in particular, it's funny you mentioned that just the past couple of days, they're not and now they're not buying houses anymore because I guess paying more than 30% of market price is, is not a winning strategy, but <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll see yeah. if they uh, re-enter the market. Yeah, we lost a few house deals to them really? uh, and the sellers called us back and we're like, man, that was the worst experience ever. But yeah, maybe they should stick to tech. I mean, they did a great job with Zillow.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, they they changed the industry there for sure, um, but I don't know if the trying to become the monopoly of real estate in the United States is really going to pan out for them by paying more than market value. But hey, I don't know. We're not going to figure that out right now. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called Ground Floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Brent, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Awesome. Number one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So I will say the best investment I ever made other than my education, I will say Genway, my acquisition manager, now my CEO. It was just uh, being out there, just telling her, hey, here, because we've done a lot of deals. I mean, hundreds of deals. I can't even tell you how many, but just taking the time and investing in her, her education, trusting her. And so many people are afraid to bring on people because they're going to feel like they're going to make mistakes. So I would say a person, a team member, she was my first team member. Now I had virtual assistants. I had people help me scrub list, contractor work, but the best investment I ever made was investing in a, a team member, which I call a partner. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Especially as a business owner, I think your team and your systems are that is the business, right? That's that's really what you need to continue to grow and scale and you know work with the constraints of, hey, sometimes uh, being out in the field for a week or being deployed for you know weeks on weeks on weeks on end, not being available. So that's awesome. Yeah. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Can I can I can I change this again? Like I had something in mind, but I go changed ahead. it again. How about the worst investment I didn't make? All right. I'll take it. Okay. It's creative. It's creative. You got to go with the creative real estate guys. They like to make it. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, all real estate guys should be creative, especially land guys. We got to picture a blank canvas. So, all right. I had a tenant for almost a year and a half and I won't mention his name. 
he, this was 2013, by the way, uh, the second rental property I bought, he wanted to pay, he had a Bitcoin mining operation. He wanted to pay in Bitcoin almost every month. (laughs) And I was too stupid to take the Bitcoin. I wanted the cash (laughs) because I had bills, you know? So I chalked that. I look at what that would be worth today. Back when it was, I think it was only like a hundred dollars of coin back, maybe $13 a coin back then. Um, but I had something in my head. I was like, ah, that's weird stuff. I don't even want to deal with that. Um, so I, I'd have about $27 million right now in Bitcoin if I would have just <laughs> kept it and taken that. So worst investment I didn't ever make. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of us miss that boat. I knew about Bitcoin in like 2011, you know, but oh, I thought, you know, this is nothing, right? But Now I feel made way better about myself. No, yeah, no, I mean, I, built, I set up a mining rig and it didn't make any money. And I was like, ah, this is nonsense. This isn't going anywhere. But hey, you know, whatever. Sour grapes. We can't, we can't win them all. Life's still good. That's awesome. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? The most important lesson I've ever learned in business and investing is don't try and do all the opportunities. Don't try and take on all the opportunities. Focus on opportunity in front of you because there's always going to be shiny objects. There's always going to be so many things to do. Do what you do best. And let the other ones go. Sometimes it's about the opportunities that you don't take on. So I don't know if that makes sense. You don't have to do it all. Get very good at what you do. Make it boring. Systematize it. Automate it. Delegate it before you move to the next one. Because the more successful you'll become, the more money you make, the more opportunities that will present yourself. People will call you. And you got to get really good at saying no. So that's two lessons. Say no and don't try and do all the opportunities. Absolutely. I love that. I think, uh, you know, a lot of folks out there are susceptible to shiny object syndrome, myself included, right? And I had to learn that lesson years ago, kind of the hard way. And, and you know, it, it can set folks back, but really saying no more, way more often than saying yes will help you get further. So I love that. And I love that you mentioned about investing the best, the best strategy being boring, turn it into a boring strategy, because that's really where the money is, 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 is the boring stuff, (laughs) which is kind of surprising to folks that are new out there, but make it boring. And Brent, thank you for joining us today and especially giving us an update on what, what has happened with land investing. And also for the folks out there who are, are new to that space, you know, getting us up to speed on how that business works. And, and really, I think you, uh, you buttoned it up very nicely for folks that want to reach out. They want to track you down. They want to learn more or anything like that. Where can they find you? You know, thanks for asking. Actually, I just launched a YouTube channel about four months ago. Uh, it's called, I mean, if you just search Brent Bowers on YouTube, you'll find find my channel. Subscribe to that thing. I come out with videos five days a week. I'm talking all land investing, a lot about buying land, selling land, all these things. And if you're interested in maybe getting started in land investing, I mentioned I'm a wholesaling ink coach. Head on over to wholesalinginc.com forward slash land. Awesome. Well, Brent, thank you for joining us once again today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into into the tribe. 
Don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast app you use. We'll catch you here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.